You know, my mom and dad actually got called Abraham and Sarah. They had my older brother and sister. And then 18 years later, when my mom was 40 years old, she sat down with dad and said, I have some news for you. He said, is it bad news or good news? She said, well, you'll have to let me know because I'm pregnant. They were so excited. When mom was 42, she had a little girl to go along with me. And when she was 45, she had my little brother. Yeah, don't say it's too late sitting out there. They laughed and called them Abraham and Sarah, but they weren't near old enough to be Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was 65 and Abraham was 75 when they were first called. And today I want to walk you through God's journey of faith with these two amazing people. Now, to pick up with it, open your stories. If you got your story with you, open up to chapter 2, which is on about page 13. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Genesis chapter 12, and we'll pick up there this morning. Last week, you remember that we left off with the flood. God had created a beautiful earth, had placed Adam and Eve in a perfect garden and said, I want to do life with you. And mankind had said, we'd rather do it our way. And so they chose sin. They were booted out of the garden. And before you know it, a cycle begins. In the upper story, we see God loving mankind. But the cycle in the lower story is mankind always says, I'd rather do it my way. Have you ever said that? Try saying that out loud. I'd rather do it. Boy, you say that very well. You sound professional in that. Don't tell me what to do. I'll make up my own mind. And of course, God says, trust me. I promise you, if you'll do it my way, good things will happen. And mankind continues to rebel. God washes the world clean with a flood. And out of this mass of people, they want to stay together. They build the Tower of Babel. And God says, no, no, no. Spread out and cover the earth. And out of this mass of changed languages, God calls one man. Now, what's God up to? God is building a nation. In fact, that's even the title they use in the story here to describe this phase. So if God is building a nation, who is he going to start with? Let's read together. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now that's a mouthful of blessings that God is placing on this one man who basically we don't know a lot about except the things we do know don't make him a great candidate. First off, he is 75 years old. If you were going to start to build a brand new nation and you wanted to pick a couple to start with, where would you begin? Why, that guy, he just did a triathlon and his wife is a tennis player. I mean, they're healthy and virile and and they're ready to go. And God says, no, I don't think so. How about that couple over there? Lord, the ones with the walkers? Yeah, yeah, them. The ones that are in the old folks' home? Yeah, I know. But Lord, that's not the way you're supposed to pick them. How many here understand fantasy football? Is anybody, any fantasy football fans in here? My son has gotten plugged into fantasy football this year. He's on the computer. He's watching the stats. If you've never done it, 
The way I understand it is you get to pretend that you're an owner and you can pick from any players in the NFL in a pretend draft. That means you can pick the best quarterback, the best receivers, the best defensive players, and you put together your fantasy football team. Do you know that I don't think anybody has ever picked me in fantasy football? far as I know, I'm not on anybody's roster. Well, there's a reason for that. They'd say, Jeff, sorry, but you would be a total loser as a fantasy football team member because you're not even in the NFL. See, what they don't know is I might join tomorrow. Next week I might decide and who knows, you know, the Steelers might pick me up. Even the Panthers, I wouldn't have to move, could play right here in my hometown. What would you say the chances are of me getting an NFL berth midseason would be this year? Okay, let's not go so fast here. Let's think about it at least a little bit. Some saying zero, I hear some negative numbers out there. Some saying, Jeff, that, that's just ridiculous. That's, that's foolish. Okay, now you understand what it must feel like to have God be picking your fantasy football team when he says, how about Abraham and Sarah? God, they're 75 years old. What's the chance? But you see, if you read through the story, you're going to see God do it again and again and again and again. I started even to think think through it. And a preacher buddy of mine had done that and started to make a list. Abraham was old. Isaac was insecure. Leah was unattractive. And Joseph was a slave. Moses was a stutterer. Gideon was fearful. Samson was proud. Rahab was a streetwalker. David had an affair. And, well, Elijah was downright suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Naomi was a widow. Mary was just a teenage girl. Martha was a worrier. Samaritan woman had multiple wives. John the Baptist, pardon me, husbands, thank you. John the Baptist was, what should we say about John the Baptist? John the Baptist was eccentric. Peter was impulsive. Timothy was, was he was timid. Uh, Thomas was a doubter. Paul had health issues. John was a, sh- a shipwrecked castaway on the Isle of Patmos, and yet God used every one of them to do amazing things. Can I get an oh yeah? You can walk all the way through the history of the Old and New Testament and God's fantasy football team is a joke. Unless you look at the score at the end of the season. And Abraham and Moses and David are still being talked about because God used them. God uses the unlikely to accomplish the unthinkable. So how's that working for you? Unlikely? Yeah. You're on God's roster. Do you realize that? Whether you're in this building, you're listening to this lesson later, you are someone God says, Oh man, I would like to use you here. While Satan whispers, Oh, give me a break. You? No way. And God says, Oh, Yahweh, I can use you. If, if what, if you'll trust me and here we come back to this word faith, this word for standing on a firm foundation for stepping out and saying, I completely place my weight on you, Lord. So how does it work? 
How do you get the kind of faith that Abraham had? Can I give you four steps to think through? First this, it always starts with a dream. Take out your lesson outline. It's in your bulletin there. Kind of flip it over and mark this down. I want you to think about this this week. God begins with a dream or a vision to say, can you imagine this? He takes Abraham out on the porch and says, look up there. Do you see? Well, out of his tent had a porch. Do you see the stars in the sky? That's how many descendants you're going to have. Imagine having a great nation. God never says it's going to be just like it is now. God always says, can you dream of something different? But the dreams get beat out of us, don't they? You get told, now don't be ridiculous. Don't be too optimistic. Don't be such a Pollyanna. Come on, be realistic. I'm so glad nobody was telling Abraham that. Because God was saying, how about you be faithful? How about you let me give you a dream of something that is bigger and more amazing than you can even imagine? But now guys, here's the challenge. Some of us wake up from a dream and we go, that was something, and then go right on about our day. When God gives you that vision, that dream, that, that picture of what could be, what do you do next? Now here's faith. Faith is not that you say, boy, that was a wild dream. Boy, that, that's an amazing thought I had. Boy, me? You've got to be kidding. But then you obey the call. I love this simple line from Scripture. You see, after Abraham saw the vision, he obeyed the call. In fact, you may want to underline this in your copy of the story. The next three words after that little kind of poem section there, I will make you a great nation, I'll bless you, I'll make your name great, and finally all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4 of chapter 12. So Abraham, what's that next word? Went. Is that a big word? Would you circle that word? Why? Because it's the first verb of Abraham's faith journey. Abraham didn't fold his arms and say, okay, God, if you want to do something great with me, rock and roll. Send it my way. Knock your bad self out. Just go ahead. Bless me. But God said, Abraham, I want you to envision something amazing and wonderful. I want you to to dream with me of a different kind of future. And Abraham says, wow, okay. And then God says, now go. And three simple words. Then Abraham went. He took a step. Occasionally my wife will leave me books. I've had books on eating your way to better health. She'll leave running and marathon and exercise books around. And I know it's not accidental. The other day I picked up a really good running book she had had laying around. And I laid on the couch and I read about running. It was great. I mean, there were pictures and there were descriptions and they had some really good tips in there. And laying there on that couch, I just felt fast. You know, I felt healthy. I felt fit. So I went and got myself a burger and and fries And a big chocolate shake. And I thought, this has been a good day. 
What's wrong with that story? Just because you dream about it, just because you read about it, just because you think about it, it's not going to change your world until you actually obey God and go. What's the Nike swish mean? Just do it. Just do it. God whispers to us and says, I know you dream of a great family. Somebody says, oh man, I saw that family. I'd give anything to have a family like them. They probably did. They gave their heart and life and love. You want to have a better, do you dream of a better marriage? Do you dream of a stronger relationship with God? Do you dream of a more fulfilling life? God says, that's great. That's awesome. Let me bless you with that. Now, obey when I call you. Step out when I tell you. Do the right thing when I put it in front of you. You see, obeying the call is the moment that we stop saying, oh, I want, and we start saying, God, what do you want? I mean, I know many of us have made that commitment. Lord, I will go with you anywhere I want to. It's not very impressive, is it? It's when we say, Lord, I'm ready to go with you anywhere you want me to. We had some good friends visit this weekend. Sweet little couple there in their early 70s. He served with a church with me in California years ago as one of our elders. We talked with him. He had traveled a lot for the early part of his career. At one point, we did a a little seminar on marriage. I'll never forget. Had them up on stage with some other couples. And I was kind of interviewing them about their marriage. And all the couples that were on stage had been married at least 20 years. But I was going down saying, how long have you, how long have you? And I asked them, how long have you been married? And Brenda, the wife, said, about 12 and a half years. And you could feel this... (gasps) Because we all thought they'd been married like 24 years. And then I realized they had kids in their mid-twenties. And I said, uh, do you say 12 and a half years? He said, yeah, absolutely. But I thought, Doug said, we've been married for 25 years. Brenda said, yeah, but he's been gone for half of it. So I just count to 12 and a half. Well, when we were with them this weekend... We were reminded of that story and Brenda said, yeah, I said, how was it when Doug finally retired and came home full time instead of traveling to Europe and traveling? They looked at one another and smiled and she said, well, he was a little bossy. I said, well, how do you mean? She said, well, for one of the first things happened when he got back. We got in the car to go someplace. I jumped in the driver's seat because, you know, when he was gone, I always had to drive. So he got in the passenger seat. We pulled out the driveway. We're driving. We haven't even left our street yet. And he starts saying, okay, now up here, go ahead and take that right. She said, I looked over at him and I said, excuse me? He said, well, if you go right, it's quicker than if you turn left. She said, I have been driving this route for years. Okay, I know what I'm doing. She said, I thought that would kind of back him off. Half a block later, he's saying, now slow down. There's a school zone right around the corner. I said, what'd you do, Brenda? She said, I pulled over. I opened the door. I got out. I walked around and I opened his door. And I said, do you want to drive? 
And he said, yes, thank you. And he got out and he went around and he drove from then on. You know, if you've ever been in a car with somebody who's been trying to drive from the passenger seat, you know that frustrating feeling of saying, excuse me, am I driving or are you? Now, I want you to think about God saying, will you trust me? Sure, Lord, I trust you. So he says, great. And he settles in behind the driver's seat. And you say, uh, Lord, uh, we, are we going this way? He says, yeah. Oh, but God, that's going to cost. And, and I'm going to, you know, and everybody else takes this shortcut. I wonder if God wants to pull the car over and say, excuse me, do you want to drive? You want me to. Obeying the call means trusting the one who is leading you. Can I get a, oh yeah, in your marriage, in your finances, in your job, at school, boys and girls, it means doing the right thing because we trust the one who made right and wrong in the first place. Here I start seeing the dream and then obeying the call and then I expect things to happen right now and guess what? It doesn't. God tells Abraham and Sarah, oh, they're going to build this great nation and it doesn't happen. Now, you remember that they had to move from where they lived in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is basically by Baghdad in Iraq, all the way to Jerusalem, about 775 miles with no GPS, probably on a camel. And once they got there, shortly after that, there is a famine there and they end up going down to Egypt. It is 20 years later before they're actually moving towards a promise. How many of you have prayed and waited and believed for 20 or 25 years on one promise of God? That's pretty tough. I've waited sometimes a year, two years, five years. And maybe some of you are saying, Jeff, I'm still in the waiting mode. I'm still praying that my son would return, that my family would, that my mom... I don't know what it is for you, but you're in good company because delay is not God denying. Abraham and Sarah wait. Oh, I know, after a while they say, well, we'll just do it our way and... He sleeps with Hagar, his maidservant, takes her as a wife, sure enough has a child, and God says, no, 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 that's not the way this is going to work. I'm going to give you a child, Sarah. And she ends up laughing, and that's why Isaac is called laughter. You know, once we step out and say, God, I trust you, we have to also say, and I trust your timing. Can you say that with me? I trust your Are you a right now person? I'm a right now person. I stand in front of a microwave and say, hurry up. I'm a right now kind of person. Do you remember dial-up internet? You know, all the noises that it used to make. And finally, the kids are going, what's dial-up? Oh, man. See, every generation has things. My dad would say, one room, school room. I'll say to my grandkids, we used to have dial-up internet. Sometimes it would take like 60 seconds to get a web page up. And they'll go, oh, Grandpa, that's ridiculous. I did not wait well. How about you? Oh, now we've got some kind of T1 line or something else, you know, through our cable company. And are you like me? Hurry up, hurry up. How come this download is taking so long? Well, brothers and sisters, 
Faith is not microwavable. Faith is something that means I trust you, God, one slow step at a time. I'm not saying God's going to do it right now, but I believe that he can enable me to faithfully wait. See the dream, obey the call, and then trust the enabler. The God who says, I will make it happen. Trust me. I will see you through. Believe in me. Sarah says, here I am at this age. And God says, trust me. You know, in the middle of that chapter, in um, in chapter 2, if you go to the next page, page 15, the writers choose to pluck a section from Romans and put it right in the middle of this chapter. I know Romans is not Genesis, but the the paragraph at the bottom of page 15, listen to this. This is from Romans. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Can you circle the word fact there? He faced the fact. It's right on the bottom of page 15, and otherwise, it's right there in your Bible, in chapter uh, 15, oddly enough, of Genesis, and about verse 4. Pardon me, Romans chapter 4, I'll get it right yet, in verse 18. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Everybody take your left hand and put it out like this and take, make a fist with your right hand. And I want you to say the word fact with me when I get there. Ready? He faced the fact. Now, we all believe in the... In fact, we base our life on the... Now, let me tell you, the problem with the... Is sometimes the father changes the facts. The doctor says, incurable, and God says, not so. Someone says, he will never beat that addiction, and God says, you watch me. Someone says, this economy is, and God says, I will see you through. But the fact is, listen, I love this line. Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. How would you like that on your physical report? If you're alive in two weeks, I'll be shocked, I tell you what. If that's what the doctor said to you, Abraham faced, say it with me, the fact that his body was as good as dead, but he believed in the Father who said, I will make you a great nation. What facts are scaring you right now? Is it your age? Is it your health? Is it your finances? Is it your relationships? I'm not asking you to throw prudence to the wind, but I am asking you with patience to say, we have a God who is greater than any fact somebody throws at me because he's the author of truth. I like the fellow that says, you may tell me the facts, but God tells me the truth. The fact is I'm falling and and faulty. The truth is God has called me his child. The fact is, I have a hard time getting through a day without making a mistake. The truth is, I'm going to heaven when I die anyway. Can I get an amen? See, here's God's call to us. He says, I'm not asking you to trust in your own goodness. I'm asking you to trust me. See the dream. Obey the call. Believe in the enabler. I'd love to quit right there and say, boom, it'll happen. But Abraham's story teaches us one more thing. You've got to keep trusting when tested. 
Now, Abraham's test is a nuclear one. It's one I hardly even know how to talk about. The Bible says sometime later, some commentators say it's probably 15 years. That means Isaac, this wonderful little baby who was born as the grand surprise to this hundred-year-old man, is a teenager, and at that moment, God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac. I don't know whether he was 15 or 20 or 25, but he was old enough to know what was going on because they go to make a sacrifice. And the son says, Dad, we don't have a lamb. And Abraham says, God will provide. Now, testing can come in many ways. Testing can come in your marriage. Testing can come with your kids. Testing can come with relationship with your parents. We're facing testing as a church. Most of you are probably aware. We've had a great year with Faith for the Future and all the monies that have been given. But you heard Jackie talk a minute ago about the needs of the missions fund. And as long as we're at it, I'll tell you the truth. We're just really wrestling with the fact that while our Faith for the Future contributions have been great... Our regular contributions have been below what we had budgeted and believed God would bring us this year. In fact, we had staff salary cuts earlier in this year. And Lee told me between now and the end of the year, we would need an extra $10,000 a week for our regular contribution just to catch back up and break even. Yeah, that's huge. And some of you, I know, are giving to the best of your abilities. And bless your heart, others of you may not be given much at all. I, I hope you'll take that to heart. But it's a test. Well, what do we do? Are you panicked, Jeff? Are you running and sticking your head in the sand? No, 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 no. I go back and I read Abraham and Sarah. And I know this. If we trust in God and will obey the call, he will always see his people through. And the church said, Amen. he sees us through in our families, in our lives Now, I'll level with you. When we got to this part of the story, I didn't know how to teach this because I've got three boys. And while there have been days where I've been frustrated, if on any one of those days, God forbid any one of them should have been in an accident and the doctors had come and said, when the car accident happened, it completely tore up their lungs without somebody donating their lungs, this boy will die. I know what I would do. I know what probably virtually every dad or mom in this room would do, don't you? Take mine. But how could I ever take my child's Lungs or heart. A filmmaker tried to capture this in a movie called In the Beginning, which stars Martin Landau as Abraham. So seeing as I can't preach this, let me close by letting you see what it might have felt like. The story. Abraham. I am here. Take your son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to a place I will show you, and offer him there as a burnt offering. My son? Yes, your son. Why do you command this? 
That's the place. How can we make a burnt offering, Father? We have no lamb. The Lord himself will provide the lamb. You go on up ahead. I'll follow. My son and I will worship and then return. Father, in case my courage fails. your hand on the boy or do any harm to him. Now, I know that your faith is perfect because you would give to God what is most precious to you, your only son. Turn now and you will see a sacrifice pleasing to God. the line that you would give your only 
son. Does it sound familiar to you from someplace else in Scripture? That a father was so committed that he was ready to give his son. Praise God, Abraham didn't have to. Praise God, I don't have to. But God did. And here's the strange truth. You know that mountain where Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac? Centuries later, there would be a city built on that mountain. The name? Jerusalem. And just outside that city, a father's only son would hang on a cross. Because God says, you trust me. I will make a way for you. Today, I challenge you to walk in the steps of Abraham. Do you have a dream for what your life could be? Is God calling you to simply obey Him? Maybe you've never been baptized into Christ. Maybe you've wandered away from your commitment to Him. Are you needing to trust Him to enable you to do what you know you need to do? Or is this a moment of testing? Whatever it is, God says, trust me and I'll walk with you through this journey of faith.